you know, this is Manchester United, Boot Veghorst is being sold, and then you go online and, and it seems to be like, this is a good thing. You're like, it's not. Please stop telling me this is a good thing. It's not. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Delighted to say, joining us on the line is the Arsenal writer and podcaster from Arsblog, Tim Stillman. Tim, very good morning. How are things? Good morning. Really good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Very good. Thanks for joining us. Um, it's a big one. We were just chatting to Louise Quinn there about Arsenal Chelsea this weekend in the in the Women's Super League. Uh, was it 40,000 tickets were sold as of Tuesday? I'm sure it's gone up uh, even more so now. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a real appetite being whetted by, uh, by this game. It's a, it's a big one. It, it absolutely is, and it, it was 42,000 as of Wednesday evening, so I imagine right. we're going to hit around the 45,000 uh, mark, and that that's going to be the third time this season that a league game gets more than 40,000 tickets sold, so that's that's just hugely, hugely encouraging. I'm not sure I ever thought I'd live to see the day where I'd be able to just kind of casually reel off that sentence, but I, I mean, it's an absolutely huge one. Um, you, you only have to look at the table, you only have to look at the table for the last couple of years, both teams pretty much identical records if you take out the fact that Chelsea have played one more game and look these games they have an outsized kind of impact on who wins the league it's that simple if one of these teams because uh, both teams have to play each other twice in the second half of the season one of these teams wins both of those games they'll win the league I I do kind of think it's that simple with respect to Manchester United and the challenge they're putting up so it's an enormous game um, and, and I think also having it on the same day as the North London derby on the men's side, not great for my heart and my nerves, <laughs> but, but, you know, quite special, it has to be said. It'll be a busy day for you, for sure. Like It, it, it only serves to highlight the, the number of ticket sales and the interest in, in the WSL at the moment. Um, I was just looking, you can see the photograph in front of me here on my, on my screen, the, uh, the wraparound at the Emirates uh, and, and the mm-hmm. new artwork that's been done around the stadium in North London. And you've got the, the Invincible, I think it's called Invincible, the artwork itself, where you've got the men's Invincible Premier League team of, of 03, 04, and the, the women's Champions League winning team of 06, 07, kind of almost you know, holding on to their trophies. It's a really, really uh, positive statement and one that, that really, as I said, serves to highlight how equal the two teams are in, North, in, uh, in Arsenal. Yeah, an in- incredible, incredible kind of message. And I was involved in the consultations. There, there are around 100 or so supporters who were consulted um, a- around what should be on the wraps. And, and I was one of them. And I kind of went into the consultation thinking, right, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to bring to this? I'm going to really push for strong representation of the women's team. And honestly, my favourite thing about the whole thing is that I didn't have to because it was unanimous that that's what people wanted to see. So it wasn't just me who goes to all the women's games and everything. Like People were just like, yep, this is a big part of the club's history, something we're really proud of, something we want to see on the side of our stadium. And I, I, that's just so positive. This wasn't a like a did act from the club. This wasn't top down. This was decided by the fans that they wanted to see that. And I think that makes a really, really strong statement. And it also just shows you, you know, the last time Arsenal did a kind of stadium wrap design was about 2007, 2008. And it just shows you uh, really how much things have changed since then, because I can't imagine that that was ever part of the conversation in in 2007 2008 probably around the time that Arsenal women were the reigning European champions but now 15 years later people are saying no we want to see 
that achievement on the side of our stadium and and now the women are playing there more often and you know the club have been very open about the fact that they want that to be um, the case and maybe even the permanent home of Arsenal women one day so just just absolutely incredible and I was I was at the unveiling event on Wednesday night and spoke to players like Anita Asante and Leanne Sanderson who were part of that quadruple winning team and just asked them you know what would you have said if I if I came back kind of from the future 15 years ago and said to you that your face will be really, really prominent on the side of the stadium? And, and they were both, you know, both just kind of in disbelief, really, um, that something like that would happen. It's especially nice for those players who've perhaps retired, who aren't directly reaping the benefits of this kind of explosion at the moment, but have really, really contributed a lot to it so it's really nice it's a really nice touch to see them recognised in this way one of those uh, one of those retired players is uh, is Emma Byrne who does a lot of work with ourselves on the, the Koi Gig podcast mm-hmm. here on, on Off The Ball um, I saw am I right in saying the other night you were given the tough task of picking the all time Arsenal women's 11 <laughs> yes. did, did Emma manage it's to okay. make it of, of course Emma made it because uh, first of all th- there wasn't really another candidate and second of all I'm slightly scared of Emma um, so, <laughs> but but yes and and the great thing is Emma's on the stadium twice as as a, quite a lot of the women's players are actually because there's that quadruple winning design but there's also a design above the away end where you've got essentially it's meant to be a little bit intimidating so you've got some players from Arsenal's past you've got Martin Keown uh, with his head bandaged up, Alex Scott kind of behind a cannon facing out. So, you know, the message there is implied but relatively strong. And Emma's on that one as well. And, and that's a really good choice because uh, Emma can be intimidating, as I'm sure you know. Well, goalkeepers are are all a bit touched, I think, in the head. So <laughs> fair play to them. But um, I guess, Tim, from from our perspective, we're, we're already kind of building up to the, to the World Cup this summer. And Katie McCabe is someone that comes up in conversation constantly and... Uh, for some reason, I guess her best position is often called into question. We're, we're trying to work out where exactly on the pitch um, she can best be utilised. In your opinion, where where is Katie McCabe's best position? Yeah, it's, it's someone else I'm slightly scared of. <laughs> <laughs> but but with Katie, with Katie, it's so strange because she's one of those players who her role for her country and her role for Arsenal are just different because of the the different ways that the teams mm-hmm. have to play. I mean, on Sunday, she's probably going to play on the right wing because um, Beth Mead is injured. I think there was a time for Arsenal where that was her best position. I'm not sure it is anymore. For Arsenal, I think I prefer her at left back. But the thing is, with Katie, whether she plays left back or left wing, it doesn't make a huge amount of difference. She's kind of doing the same things anyway. And and that's enormously to Katie's credit because it's not that easy to go from full back to the wing, you know, when you're making runs from deep compared to when you're getting the ball in very tight spaces and having to dribble past people. And she makes it look very, very easy. But so really there's there's not a lot of kind of there's not a lot of difference between her playing on the left wing or at left back for Arsenal. But I, we'll see her on the right on Sunday and kind of drift in and play almost more like a like a ten. But she's one of those players. Honestly, I, I think she's great in central midfield as well. She's just one of those players who's got a bit of everything, like a proper all rounder. Um, but on on balance, if you really pressed me, I'd probably say left back for Arsenal, but probably for Ireland, left wing back, depending on who Ireland play. 
of course, and whether they play with a back five or a back four. Mm, no doubt we'll have plenty of those conversations between, between now and the World Cup. For the North London derby as well, the small matter, as you mentioned as well, Tim, uh, this weekend, a huge one at half past four on Sunday, live commentary here and off the ball as well. Um, what's the line from the Simpsons? Everything's coming up, Millhouse. Everything's coming up, Mikel Arteta at the moment, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, the season's just taken us all by surprise. It's It's interesting because last season, even though Arsenal missed out, on their main objective in the most crushing way possible by losing it to Spurs. That that didn't really impact the mood of the fan base. I think we all sensed from last season, wow, something's stirring here, something's happening here. We can see what this team is trying to do and what it can be. But I still don't think... And then, you know, the signing of Gabriel Jesus, we all expected improvement from that because essentially Arsenal played without a striker um, without wishing to be unkind or too unkind. Arsenal played without a striker, in my in my view, for quite a long time last season. And then they got one. And what Zinchenko's done as well and Saliba's done since he's come in, just those three players have just all brought the level up in their respective areas. And it's it, it's been, so far, it's been such a great season. But now I think we're all in that kind of, Arsenal fans haven't really wanted to talk about winning the league because it feels so fragile and it feels like if we talk about it, it's you know it's going to kind of blow up in our faces. There's there's still that kind of feeling of tentativeness, but I mean th- this period here is absolutely pivotal for Arsenal. Tottenham, Manchester United, and then they play Manchester City in February. If Arsenal come out of that in good shape, I mean. They, they've got. They've really got a chance, and that's all. That's all we ask for, really, as Arsenal fans. I think. I presume you're also watching whatever city you're doing at the minute, Tim. Whether it's in the the <laughs> cup or the league, and with uh, like a nervousness almost of, you know, maybe they're they're uh, um, not quite the Manchester City that we knew. Yeah, and it's another really interesting one because. They did lose some big players this summer. You know, Raheem Sterling, Gabriel Jesus, Sinchenko. I completely understand the justification for them for selling all of those players. I completely do. But in one go, that's three players who really, really know your system, know how to play. I mean, two of them have come into the Arsenal team and have just transferred Man City football (laughs) into the Arsenal team. And, And I think Sterling, that's a slightly different story. But that's three really big players. And look, they brought in Haaland. So, you know, boohoo um, for them really but I, I do think there is an element of maybe a little bit of transition there maybe them getting used to maybe some players getting used to Pep football to Man City football I, I think the thing is with City I don't look at the big games for them and and think that they'll drop points I, I actually think they're okay in those games you look at who they've been dropping points against Aston Villa Everton Brentford those are the games they've seemed to struggle slightly more in. So, I, yeah, I, I think they've got some tough fixtures. I actually think they'll come out of this period okay. It's how they deal with those kind of mid-table teams who are um, both kind of inferior enough to City to go there and, and play with 10 defenders, but also kind of good enough to do it, if that makes sense. Yeah, like you mentioned a couple of the, the acquisitions, Tim, that Arsenal have made from City in, in Jesus and Zinchenko. Mikhailo Mudrik from uh, Shakhtar is the other one that uh, is, is still rumbling on. I think he was available for, for 30 million euros in the summer. Shakhtar want up to upwards of 100 million quid at the moment. Um, by all accounts, sounds like Shakhtar are quite a tough entity to negotiate with as well when it comes to transfers. Is this going to happen, yeah. do you think? And, and, and if so, I mean, he, suits, he fits an age profile at only 22, but what do you think he'd bring to that Arsenal setup? 
Yeah, I, I do think it will happen. I think the player, I mean, I don't think the player has exactly been <laughs> private about his wish to make it happen. Um, his Instagram account has been very entertaining this month. But I mean, I do think it will happen because, and I think Shakhtar know this, Arsenal just need to make it happen. They are, they are one forward short at least. And then, and that was without Gabriel Jesus being injured. Saka and Martinelli have played a lot of minutes this season. Martinelli played the full 90 at Oxford. Like They don't have depth in those positions, so they need someone. And I'm not sure there's too many plan Bs and plan Cs kicking around. So, you know, fair play to Shakhtar. I think they recognise that. Shakhtar themselves have lost a lot of players recently. Like Shakhtar have always had a great business model, particularly with Brazilians, and they get paid for their players and, you know, they had, because of the situation that's completely out of their control in the country, they've lost a lot of players on the cheap and some even for free recently. So, you know, this is a payday for them. This is a Ukrainian player they're selling, not a Brazilian player this time. And, yeah, they, they are a tough nut to crack. I think they kind of always have been. Um, I do think it will happen. I, I think basically what he brings, bit of depth in those wide areas. The, the only thing I'm interested in is he's, he's another right footer who plays on the left, and Arsenal have already got two of those, whereas Bukayo Saka is a left footer who plays on the right. And so it would be interesting to see who or what the backup for Bukayo Saka is. But the little I've seen of Mudrik, he is lightning quick on the football. Mm. Like just, he, it looks like, you know, when you see those um, Parthé cinema reels from 1930s football <laughs> sped up, like he looks like that, even with the kind of brill cream haircut. So I, th I think it injects a lot of kind of pace and, and directness and just someone else um, to play on, on those, on those flanks, particularly with the Europa League coming back in March. We're used to seeing other clubs, Tim, get involved in, in transfer, <clears throat> I guess, sagas and entanglements and, and constantly long, drawn-out um, battles to, to, to acquire a signature. It's not a very Arsenal thing and it's not a very Arteta thing, so it's it's quite a rare moment to see this this process play out in front of us when it comes to Mudrick. It's, it's a strange one, actually, because Arsenal have been... I mean, th this one's been even more public, I think, because... I think because the club kind of know they have to sell the player really like this is if they don't sell him in January and he doesn't have a very good couple of months. I mean, the, the market's so wild that, like you said, he's kind of gone from 30 million to 100 million in a couple of months could easily go back the other way with a couple of bad months. But I mean, what what has been a feature of Arsenal's transfer business under Arteta is he will push the boat out or rather the club will push the boat out for players he really wants. So. Arsenal didn't really want to go to 50 million for Ben White, but they did it. They didn't really want to go to 35 million for Aaron Ramsdale, but they did it. Like guys who come in and play in the first team, who get in the first 11, Arsenal do tend to pay up. And again, Shakhtar probably know that. Um, but what's interesting here is Mudrik, you know, he's not going to get past Saka. Uh, you know, he, he's probably not that good. Um, Martinelli would be more the spot he'd be challenging for. But mm. again, that's that's a big, big... But then in the wide areas, you kind of rotate a little bit more anyway. So it, it this does feel... A little, this is a bigger sum, and this does feel a little bit like, actually, if we're playing a cup final tomorrow, this guy might not be in the starting 11, and we, <laughs> we're going to pay like 
you know, upwards of 80 million or so. So I, I think it's I think it's different in that respect. This is a different number to the likes of Ben White and Aaron Ramsdale. Mm. And it could be similar to, I guess, the Casemiro at Manchester United thing where it takes a bit of time yeah. to, to bet in and finally get into that starting eleven. Um Gabriel Martinelli was one of the names you mentioned there. I was really interested last night. I was reading one of your uh, pieces on Ars blog on, on Martinelli and his, his futsal background. Um, mm. Some people will be familiar with futsal and the, you know, the indoor soccer with the... The heavier football improves the first touch, uh, I guess heavily played in, in Brazil as well. Fascinated to read how, how imperative futsal has been to, to Martinelli's development as a player and even how you, you write about in your piece, how Martinelli can almost recognise other players with a futsal background simply based on their, on their first touch and the way they play the game. Yeah, absolutely. He does that thing. You can the giveaway of a futsal player is they trap that they'll kind of take the ball, they'll trap it under their foot and then roll it forwards. And that's kind of that's a bit of like a matador style because you want to attract the player and then push the ball past him and run. And that's that's a lot of what Martinelli's game is built on right there. Like when he gets the ball, he wants to move. When he doesn't have the ball, he wants to move. He wants to he. It's funny, I think he's underrated because he's actually not a particularly elegant player to watch. There's not a lot of stepovers or tricks in there. It is push and run. And actually, the the player himself says he's incredibly influenced by Cristiano Ronaldo. I think particularly Ronaldo's early career when he was playing on the left. And, you know, Ronaldo cut all of that out of his game and, and eventually became this machine of just kind of taking the quickest route to goal the most direct route to goal as possible. And that's, that's Martinelli plays like every minute is the 89th minute, basically. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that comes from futsal because that's how futsal is. It's a small pitch. You've got players in your face all the time. And, you know, it's a hard court. It's a hard ball. You've got to give it a whack, um, really. You've got to really hit the back of the ball. And it's, it's just so, and, and the toe poke as well. So, Romario was the, another player, big, big futsal player. Mm. And that toe poke finish that we all associate with him, go back and watch Martinelli's goal against Brighton because it's a, it's a Romario finish, it's a futsal finish. Yeah, futsal written all over it. And finally for me, Tim, just to, just to get your prediction then ahead of the North London derby this weekend, it's, it's hard to believe that it was a 3-0 defeat for Arsenal back in May, you know, losing mm. that, that fight in the battle for top four and, and the, the run to the Champions League places. I mean, if, you, if, if you'd said that by the following January, things would be looking this different and Arsenal would be heavy favourites in, in some ways heading into the game mm. this weekend. Um, people thought you were crazy, but how do you see the game going? Yeah, I mean, we, Arsenal were very injury depleted, particularly in the back line that day. You know, mm. Rob Holding, Cedric, Tommy Asu had to come off. Gabriel got injured and had to come off. I mean... It, it's a very different Arsenal. Um, I think with this one, the first goal is going to dictate everything. I really do, because it's going to be Arsenal doing what they always do, looking to press teams back. Arsenal always try to score quickly, um, which sounds redundant because every team wants to do that. But Arsenal's record of scoring in the first 20 minutes this season is very, very good. And that really allows them to dominate games. Obviously, we know what Tottenham are going to do equally as well. They're going to sit back, try and soak it up and hit Arsenal on the counter. So I think the first goal will have um, an outsized importance. Also, um, you know, please don't think I'm bringing like conspiracy theories or anything into this. Tottenham get a lot of penalties against Arsenal and and like most of them aren't debatable decisions. I think the one in May was a very debatable decision, but 
basically Arsenal have to try not to give a penalty away because that's made this fixture a lot harder for them in recent years. And I think a lot of us are thinking Harry Kane is only one goal off the Tottenham goal scoring or equaling the Tottenham goal scoring record. And, you know, um, that that feels a little bit ominous and might like we might have to score more than one goal to win the game. I think this will be incredibly tight. But I also think Arsenal are massively overdue a win at Spurs. It's been nearly 10 years so I'm going to stick my neck out and say that Arsenal are going to do it 2-1. <laughs> I love it. Bit of confidence never hurts. Uh, Tim, great stuff as always. Thanks a million for joining us. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.